You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know, my, my, my name is Emily. Uh, this is my husband, Matt, over here. And my mother-in-law. <laughs> and uh, I have uh, two children, Sophia and Oscar, who are playing somewhere else in the building at the moment. Um, and I'm part of the team here at York City Church, and I help to look after the pastoral work that goes on here. Um, so today, I'm going to be speaking to you from the book of John and looking at the miracle uh, by the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus encounters a paralyzed man and he heals him. And this story has impacted me over the years in different ways, and it's really shaped and nurtured my love of pastoral care. And um, so I would love to just pray, and then we'll read through the story together. Jesus, I thank you that you speak to us through your word. I just pray, help us to be open to what you might be saying. I pray that you would speak to each person that sat here. And God, I pray that as we are speaking about a healing, that you would be healing and freeing people here today. I know that we come with all of our distractions and all of our things that are going on, but I pray, help us just to lay those aside now to hear your voice clearly this morning. Amen. So if you would like to follow along with me, um, it's going to come up on the slide as well. We are looking at John chapter 5, 1 to 10. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So at this point in the gospel, we've had two other miracles before this one. Um, we've had the water into wine at the wedding of at the marriage in Cana and the healing of the nobleman's son. And there are just five more after this. So seven miracles in total is quite a small number compared to the other Gospels. And helpfully, John clearly states his purpose for writing his account of Jesus's time here with us. And this helps us as we read through to understand what John wants us to know and why these particular miracles might have been chosen to write about. He says he wrote this account so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in him. 
And he goes on to say life to the full. So we know that each miracle spoken about, each word of Jesus recorded, is for this purpose and to help make this truth known. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in him. So here we are at this pool that is said to have healing powers. It was a belief held by many at the time that when the water is stirred up, thought by an angel, one person can enter the pool and experience healing, but just the one that gets there first. And whether or not this was true, we, we don't really know, but we know that there is a group of people here with disabilities and illnesses, and they're around this water. Perhaps it might be as a last hope, or perhaps for company with others that are like themselves, or perhaps out of a true belief that the pool might heal them. So Jesus ends up here. He's on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of the three Jewish feasts. And he stops by this pool and speaks to the man. He finds out he has been lame for 38 years. That is a really long time. And this isn't necessarily his age either. This is the length of him not able to walk. So Jesus is with him and asks him a question. Do you want to be well? What a question to ask. And the answer might seem really obvious. But he asks similar questions like this at other times as well. He asks, uh, what do you want or what are you seeking to um, the disciples early on in John? And he asks, what do you want me to do for you to Bartimaeus who is blind? And we can take from these, and there are more like it, that Jesus cares about what we want. And we spend a lot of time feeling that our wants are bad sometimes, or to be ignored and pushed away. But Jesus is truly interested in them, because the, and they reveal so much about us. And we can ask him to help us bring those to light, the good ones and the not-so-good ones because he wants to shape all of those desires towards him. What do we actually want? Because ultimately our desires, where our heart is, is where we will follow. So he asks, do you want to be well? And actually this man doesn't answer with a resounding faith-filled yes. He doesn't actually answer Jesus' question at all. Instead, he responds with what is perhaps a well-repeated story said to those passing by the pool over the years, maybe in hope of their compassion or their money or their help. I can't get to the water because no one will take me. Someone always gets there first. And he understandably carries this victim mentality He's been lame for 38 years. But his story has very much become his identity here. No one helps me. I can't do it. I'm never first. And Jesus is bringing those things to light. And how, how do we respond to being challenged? We might get defensive or ready with the reasons, like the man in this story... You know, well, it's because this person has hurt me or my past or upbringing. 
and the reasons that take the fault off you and it feels easier to blame the circumstances and other people than it is to be accountable and take responsibility for yourself and your and your actions and a less extreme example might be um I was thinking when I asked Oscar have you remembered your water bottle and he responded well there was just so much to remember and why didn't you remind me mum and and it took the fault off of himself and it put it onto the circumstances and he tried to put it onto me as well unsuccessfully um (laughs) um or we might respond to challenge with that a bit of self-protective pride i don't need help and i certainly don't want to hear that i need help and the guard goes up or we might be open and soft to jesus or others bringing things in bringing things up in us and like me you might respond in all of these ways and more depending on how you're feeling that day (laughs) but conviction it requires us to be open to Jesus putting his finger on stuff and challenging us it is painful and it can be messy but like um, I think it's Linda's word a few weeks ago it's messy but, but necessary and one of the ways that I know that Jesus is convicting me of an issue or a mindset um, or a way of thinking is that whenever I come to pray, it's the first thing that pops into my head. And that might just be me. But this conviction, it, it, it feels different to condemnation, where you feel ashamed, where you feel bad. It's specific. And it comes with a hope and a sense of release and forgiveness Rather than Jesus saying, you're no good, you're always making mistakes. But instead he says, come on, let me help you do it this time. Let's go again. I'm with you. And as I was reading through this and thinking about Jesus' question, it got me wondering, is he actually acting in a compassionate way here? Compassion is the desire to alleviate suffering the want to take the pain away and actively looking to do this. But Jesus might just allow a little more suffering as he convicts us, but this is in order for us to get fully well. And this picture came to my mind as I was thinking um, of a gunshot wound and needing to remove the bullet. And it would hurt, it hurts so much to pull it out, but the pain and poison it would cause to leave it in would be fatal. And when it's pulled out, the wound, it might be raw, but it can heal up properly. And Jesus knows the bullets that need to come out, and he knows that they need to come out so that we can be healed and restored. And so he knows exactly what to do with us. And this is true compassion. I've put my water on a chair here because it's too far down to get down there. (laughs) Um, Now, Jesus' response to this man's answer could have been to walk away. Seen it as a sign of his unwillingness to get better. Or he might have done the opposite and acted in an overly compassionate way. I'm sorry no one else helped you. Let me take you to the water. And I remember when I first read this story that is what I thought happened 
I thought Jesus took him there. But this would be doing two things. Firstly, it would be responding to the man's victim-like state. And secondly, it would be affirming his hope in the water healing him rather than Jesus. So this first one, responding to the victim-like state. This is a challenge to me personally when pastoring people that I totally get the... I like I want to accept and affirm and comfort those who are hurting or stuck but potentially at the cost of them not being challenged or changed and see Jesus doesn't walk away from our less than desirable traits but he doesn't accommodate them either he wants to heal this man but there is also a part for this man to play in order to be truly healed Jesus responds by making three commands of this man. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And it's now on the man to do this. Jesus doesn't take him and pull him up. He asks him to actively do something in response. And on paper, this isn't the most compassionate request. I wouldn't be advising it in a pastoral situation He is asking a disabled man to walk. But Jesus knows what he is doing. And secondly, Jesus doesn't want to affirm this man's hope in the water by taking him there for the healing. When this man was asked, do you want to be well? Or wilt thou be made whole? In the King James Version. The man, in his response, looks past Jesus and he looks to the water. I can't get there. No one helps me into the pool. He sees the water as the answer and not Jesus who stood right in front of him. And we do this, don't we? We see the thing that we think is might save us. If only I had that relationship or that job or that perfect child or happiness even. But Jesus wants us to look at him and answer yes to him and desire him most. The answer isn't over there in the water. And when we come to Jesus, he isn't always going to give you the thing that you wanted, sadly, or the thing that you think that you need. He didn't take this man to the water as I thought he would. But he actually wants to give us so much more than the water could ever offer. Something better. He gave this man his life back, but made sure it wasn't just his legs that were healed. His will to live a life well was restored too. So... So what might Jesus be asking of us and what would it look like to say yes? Oh, sorry, just one moment. So for years, I have been afraid of speaking out in various different church contexts, whether it was sharing a word in the worship or praying out there would be these like self-doubting thoughts in my head before even opening my mouth. Like, 
don't share that. It's out of context. That's a weird picture. Your voice is going to come out strange. All manner of things. And a while ago, I had a word from someone which who didn't know me, didn't know I struggled with that. And she said that she saw like a muzzle over my mouth and it was stopping me from speaking, but that God was taking it away. And I really feel like this word is for some people here as well today, that for whatever reason you feel like your words aren't enough, have no value. And Jesus wants to say that they are and that he has given you a unique voice and words to share. And more recently, I felt Jesus say to me, what do you want to pray for? And I'd spent so much time thinking about what I should pray for or what I should say and not actually what Jesus has put in my heart to say. My worry of not getting it right was keeping me on the map. Um, so saying yes to what Jesus is asking you will look different for each person and depends on the path that God's got for you. We want to listen to where Jesus might be leading us, what he's stirring in us, and be obedient to that. For you, it might be taking the conversation with your friend to the next level, perhaps praying for them. It might be resting well in him, not rushing through life, slowing down. And it might be putting time with God first, central to your life, speaking to him first, reading his word first, and seeing where this leads. And stepping off the mat comes with a cost as well. You have to make an effort. You might make mistakes, and you undoubtedly will get it wrong at times, but the benefits will outweigh the cost, and your obedience will bear fruit. When this man was by the pool was healed, yes, he could then walk, but now he must find a job, make some money. His life is entirely changed no longer reliant on others, but now he must face up to the responsibilities of life. It's undeniably better than before, but a challenge still. And this scripture isn't necessarily saying to those with a mental health problem or a physical disability, do you want to be well? I don't want anyone to feel that it's on them if they're not healed. It's certainly not what this text is saying. But this question was handpicked for this man by Jesus, for his physical condition, but almost certainly for his spiritual condition. And how many of us need to be asked this for our spiritual condition? Do we want all that comes from saying yes and following Jesus? And perhaps Jesus has something different to ask you. He's kind and he's gentle and he loves to speak to you, but his word pierces our hearts and shows us what's really there. Now, the enemy will try to convince you that you can't get off the mat. He will give you all the reasons why it's better to stay where you are, like me in the praying. And we have to be aware of which voice we're listening to. 
The one that says stay where you are, it's easier, you can't change, you're not good enough to change. Or the one, that's, the one that is Jesus, the one that calls you off the mat, says you are chosen and loved. But the story doesn't end there. So we can, if we could just go to the next. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, it says that the Sabbath should be a day of rest and to put those working on this day to death. So God takes the Sabbath seriously. He takes rest seriously. He says not to work for a living on this day, but to keep it holy. And, but the religious leaders took what God meant for good which is that Sabbath is holy and necessary, and they twisted it and they created man-made rules around what you could or could not do on the day. Carrying your mat was one, and certainly healing was another. So this man has just been healed. It was an amazing miracle, but the leaders can't see past the breaking of their rules They believed you had to do certain things to get to God. But actually, they were stopping people from coming to him. So Jesus, being obedient to whatever his father is asking him to do, carries this miracle out on the Sabbath day. God's got a plan here. He doesn't want people kept from him by man-made rules. What Jesus did by healing on this day went directly in the face of the religious leaders. But it was to allow the truth to start to emerge about what it truly means to be saved. That it's only through Jesus we can be saved. Nothing to do with what we do, how well we follow the rules, how good a person we are. It is just his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace that saved us. And it's still a huge misconception now that we have to be good to be a Christian. Um, My friend, who's a key worker um, for uh, children in care, was wanting some advice for one of her kids that she looks after. Um, He was saying, if I behave, then I'm good and I'll go to heaven. But if I'm bad, I won't. And she asked me, what could she say to encourage him as a Christian like him? And this is my friend who has known me for years. And I have obviously not done a very good job of showing her what following Jesus is all about. 
that his grace and mercy is unearned, not from being good and doing the right things, but from believing in him, being loved by him, and then following his lead. Obviously a bit more complicated when you get into it, but (laughs) I only had a few minutes. And the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus performs this healing, is translated as the house of mercy in Aramaic. And as I was preparing this, I've been thinking about God's mercy and its place in my life. And as someone who went so far off track so many times in my past, I feel I have experienced Jesus' mercy in big ways. That undeserved forgiveness, that second chance or three millionth chance. And we all receive, we all receive that fresh slate every morning regardless of what we have done the day before. And this is really good news for many of us here. Sophia, my daughter, absolutely loves this one. And she'll say, can we, have, can we start a new day when she knows she's messed up and wants to start over? And this whole story is, for me, such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. We see his compassion and care and his true compassion with a much bigger purpose, we know. And we see his his compassion and care stopping for this man, seeing past his story and knowing his heart. But we also see this grace-preaching, merciful Jesus forgiving and commissioning him go and sin no more. And then his incredible power to heal, to make him whole, to save him and to give him new life. And he does this for us too. He has compassion for us. He knows us. He shows up for us. And he forgives and commissions us as he gives us new life in him. And Jesus, you know, being Jesus, truly compassionate, but with that bigger purpose. He wanted to heal more than this man's paralyzed legs. He came to bring him life, and that is what he does for us as well. Um, so I would love to just pray for us. That's okay, got time? Yeah, and then I'll finish. Thank you, Jesus, that you are full of compassion and love for us. You know each of us here, our needs and desires, the good ones and the misdirected ones. They all come from a need of you, God. We just pray that you will bring conviction and forgiveness for where we have desired things that take us away from you. We just pray that you draw us back to you now. Would you heal and comfort where needed, Lord, those who are hurting physically but also spiritually? Would you come and meet with them now?
And I pray for courage for those who feel stirred to step up off the mat, who hear your voice but are afraid to follow. Help them to put their trust in you, to obey you and to follow your lead. And I pray for those who just feel weary and tired, who just want to sleep on the mat. Jesus, bring rest and assurance and peace to them. I pray that they would know you're refreshing in them. And I pray that you fill them with hope for the days ahead. Thank you, Jesus, that you know all of our needs before we do. And that we can trust you. Thank you that you came to give us life in you. And we put our lives back into your hands again today. Amen.